Welcome to Data, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thank you for listening. If you're new to the show, I hope you enjoy listening. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. I'm very excited for my next guest. Matthew Newman has joined me on Data. This interview with Matt is going to move you. For some, his story may hit close to home. Overcoming the challenges he has faced has inspired people all over the world. Listen to this man's story and really pay close attention to how Matt has used the struggles he has faced not only for survival, but encouragement for others. Matthew is not only a dad, he's a financial advisor, an author, and keynote speaker. He travels all over the world sharing his story to thousands, and I am glad he agreed to share his story on Dad Up. Please welcome Matthew Newman to Dad Up. Matt, thank you very much for joining me on Dad Up today. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing not only about your story, you got quite, quite, a, uh, quite a story uh, to share, but also about your dad experiences. So uh, welcome to the show, brother. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor, and I really look forward to uh, sharing some of my perspective on things that I've learned in life. Cool. Well, for my listeners who don't know who you are, can you tell me uh, your name and also um, kind of your backstory, a little bit about your history, kind of what you've gone through, and also about your family, how many kids you got? Sure. M- my name is Matt Newman. I'm a father of three. My oldest son is 12. He'll be 13 in a few weeks. My middle son is 11, and my youngest daughter is nine. We had three in 37 months. We acted extremely quickly, to say the least. Uh, wow. I grew up actually in Parsippany, New Jersey. Um, my family, my father was a financial advisor. My mother was a teacher and I had one brother growing up. I now live outside Philadelphia in an area called Washington Crossing. I live right where Washington crossed the Delaware between Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And it's funny how the things you learn at young ages don't always make sense. You have these seeds that are planted inside of you. And then as you get older and you start to take on some of the same Life challenges that your parents took on, they start to make more sense. And I thank my parents greatly for a lot of what they instilled in me at a young age that now makes a lot more sense. Cool. Now, kind of going into a little bit about what you've gone through, can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I actually, when I graduated the University of Delaware in, in 1996, I remember my father coming on to the football field. Maya Angelou had just given her a beautiful commencement speech. And my father said to me, so what do you want to do now? I said, well, Dad, I want to be a financial advisor. I want to join join your practice. And in my father's thick Bronx accent, I will clean my language up drastically here. He said there was no bleeping way I was joining this firm. And I was angry and I was mad. And what he was teaching me is you'll get licenses, you figure out the business. If it's something that you acclimate to, we could talk later. And he was actually giving me one of the greatest lessons in life. There's no free lunches. Go out and earn it. Find your craft. So financial services became my craft because that was all instilled at me. Like I was mentioning earlier at a young age, the basics of planning, protection, giving people good news at difficult times. And I didn't become a financial advisor. I became a wholesaler. And a company will hire wholesalers like me who get all the same licenses as financial advisors. And we go out and show financial advisors why they should use our product, where it makes sense, so on and so forth. So I started my career and it took off because there were three basic components. And that is one is if you practice everything you preach. Whatever you tell anybody to do, you do, and you have no issues. Number two is you always be honest with people. And number three is that you got a soccer scholarship at the University of Delaware to play there. Take that work, that work ethic, combine it with those two things and the basics of planning, and I think things will work out pretty good for you. And it became my craft. It became my passion. In 2001, I became the top guy in my company. And by 2003, I was the number one guy in our industry. I found something I wanted to do. And I'll share this quickly with you. But I remember my father coming up to me in 2003 saying, not bad, man. I'm like, yeah, dad, right? Yeah, I'm kind of making myself here. He goes, I think we should talk about you joining my firm. I said, you can't afford me any longer, dad. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I found my craft. And 
everything we talked about was planning in advance. And unfortunately, Brian, none of this is taught in the school systems in the U.S. Right. We prepare people to go into the real world, but we don't teach them what medical benefits are, what right. a 401k is. They don't have to learn about investments, but that's from the basis of what to choose. As they get older, they're taking on more responsibilities. And I got married in 2006. And as life is moving on and everything's going great, we have our three children. And in 2010, my father-in-law was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a new perspective on appreciating life and living in the moment and understanding there's a short shelf life coming, but this is your life and you own it. And I watched my father-in-law just be a warrior. He wanted to see all three of his grandkids born. He wanted them to all have memories of him. And he just fought, never complained. My wife did everything necessary for him while she's pregnant with a child. It was an honor to to be a part of that. And as I watched all this, he made it two and a half years. He's still doing well in 2013. And in 2013, I got in a car accident. It was an icy, snowy day in a town called Bridgewater, New Jersey. I slid right into the car in front of me. My car flipped over into the median. I walked out without a scratch on my body. But I started to get these brutal headaches. And my wife suffered from chronic migraines. I didn't go to the hospital. I didn't do anything. All that working out I do is I'm fine. I have no problems. And I started to have what I thought were strokes. I would be, I speak publicly all over the country and I'd be speaking keynote and giving a speech and all of a sudden slur and gurgle would pour out for seconds. And I didn't know what was going on, but it was about my children. It was about my father-in-law. It was about his fight. It wasn't about me. And in May, on May 14th, 2013, I had my 11th, what I considered a stroke. And I, it was time for me to go to the hospital. My wife took down my father-in-law going through chemotherapy at a place called uh, University of Pennsylvania Hospital. She met me up in Capital Health Hopewell, New Jersey Hospital, and I remember them telling me I had a lesion on the left side of my front lobe of my brain, and that was causing not being able to sleep, causing massive pain, causing not strokes, but seizures. And as difficult as that sounds to take at 39, I was like, yeah, that's the deal. Diagnose it, fix it. Let's move on. Right. And I went through MRI after MRI, and at three in the morning, my wife said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make lunch for the kids that were all under five. We had a ride for my dad to go down to chemotherapy, and I'll be back in an hour. And they told me I had to go back in the tube one last time because they had to put contrast in me. And this woman walks in. She goes, all right, Mr. Newman, you got to get in the wheelchair. We got to take you down. I said, I'm good. Beast mode. I can, I can walk down there. I just did the Broad Street Run eight days ago in Philly, a 10-miler. She goes, liability, Mr. Newman. You know that you got to get in the uh, wheelchair. So I get in the wheelchair, and she grabs the clipboard behind me. She goes, all right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRI. We got to find out how big your actual brain tumor is. What? And I said, it's a lesion. And that was the moment at 39 that I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Wow. What, gosh, what's the prognosis now? What have you been going through now since that happened? Sure. So it's great. So my perspective changed instantly. I was gifted with a new set of lenses. I saw life differently. I went through uh, a major craniotomy. I'd have my head cut open. I had the tumor taken out. And I was diagnosed with a grade three astrocytoma. I went through chemotherapy, went through radiation, but I saw life differently. I started to have an appreciation of living in the moment, understanding how important the now is. It wasn't about yesterday. It wasn't about tomorrow. I learned lessons, which we'll talk about, about my children that changed my entire perspective on life. And I started to understand that you learn the deepest and darkest lessons in life. Or when you go through the deepest and darkest of times, you learn the greatest lessons of life. I was learning these things that were basic. And so I would have to go back every three months, get an MRI. I have a brain tumor that most likely will grow back in the same spot. But this was my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. I learned about 
it's my life. I own it. I'm not going to turn that over. I'll do what I got to do for the brain cancer. But other than that, this is mine. I'm not giving it away. And you learn what strength really is. Strength is not how big your arms are. Strength is not how much you bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in our belly. And again, at those deepest and darkest times, you can find it, you can grab it, you can own it. And that's what happened to me. I didn't know I had that in me. But once I found it, I was never giving that away. Thank you, cancer. I'll take that. So now we're seven plus years removed. I still go every six months for MRIs, MRAs, go through contrast. I finish going through the tube for an hour. They'll tell me, Mr. Newman, uh, not sure what you're doing, but keep doing it. And uh, we'll see you in six months. And it's something that I've become accustomed to. If they'll find it early, if it grows back, I'm okay with it. But I have a better perspective on an appreciation of life without question. Well, first of all, uh, that is an amazing story and quite a, uh, a transition of life for you, uh, kind of a change in life for you. Um, I guess kind of a wake-up call to uh, appreciating what you said, appreciating uh, living in the moment. But let me ask you this. You had three young kids at home, and you had a you had a wife that was trying to trying to not only navigate through parenting and, and raising three young kids while you're going through what you're going through, but she was also having to care about care have care for her father. How 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 much did that impact you guys as a family? I mean, how did your wife deal with that kind of taking on that whole load? I can honestly tell you, it made us closer, mm. and. Whether it comes to work, whether it comes to our kids' sports, whatever it's going to be, we find things that become annoying and they become things we don't want to do, but we have to go do them in order to maintain our lifestyle, to take care of our children. Then there's doing what you need to do to be there for people when things are bad. And that's what we are in our salt. By being there, being present, being prevalent, and truly providing inspiration and support was probably the strongest thing when it relates to strengths that I've ever seen in my life. She didn't worry about this. She didn't worry about that. She was there for me, there for him, there for the children. And it was an, it was an honor to watch and to be a part of. And what she showed is that strength that was down in her belly, that she was able to find it and utilize it and do what she needed to be there. And it was, it, it was something amazing to behold. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We don't, we don't know just how much we can tolerate until we have to tolerate it. Right. That's right. Uh, I, I went, you know, I went through, uh, you know, I have two boys and both of them are adults now, but with both of my boys, when they were both born, my youngest son was um, six and a half weeks premature. He was in the ICU oh, wow. on an oscillator for two weeks and I still had a full-time job. My wife was staying at home at the time, but she was living at the, at the hospital. Um, and it's crazy all the amount of pressure that we had to handle with having our son on basically a ventilator for two weeks of his life um, was scary. Um, but, you know, we went through, we went through it. Okay. We got him. He was fine. And he came out. He was great. He's healthy now. When we had our second child, um, he was two and a half weeks early. He was healthy. Uh, but my wife ended up hemorrhaging on the uh, on the table and she ended up leaving enough blood for two people and ended up oh getting in, being in a coma um and she was in oh. icu for two weeks herself so i was trying to they made a matter of fact i stayed at the hospital for a couple of days until they said hey look your your baby boy he's healthy there's no reason for us to keep him here he has to go home and so i had to take this baby boy home and care for him I had, fam obviously we had family around that helped out, 
But I had a young, you know, I had my firstborn who was who I was trying to care for, who was only a couple years old. And now I've got my second child and my wife is in the ICU and I'm having to de- navigate and juggle all that. So um, it's amazing. You don't think you can handle certain things, but when you're put in that environment and in that situation where you don't have a choice, it's amazing what our body can do and what our minds can do to, uh, to achieve um, handling those kind of situations. I completely agree with you. And, and you also see it from both angles. It also gives you a, a new understanding of the fragility of life. Right. And it gives you a new thought of that we're not all Teflon and that we have this feeling that when we're young and we're doing things that we can do whatever we want and we lose perspective and understanding on, on how insecure we really are and then how much we don't control. But when it's time for us to show up and truly be there for family and take control and show leadership, that's something that's built into our hearts and seeing that happen, it's, it's not an option. It gets done. And right. that, that's an amazing story you just said there. Yeah, you, you yeah. had me on all <laughs> waiting on that one. <laughs> well, cool. Well, um, thank you for sharing your story and um, kind of segueing into the dad role. You've got three young ones that are at home, kind of getting starting to hit into those teenage years. Um, what, do you, what do you enjoy most about being a dad? I can tell you I enjoy it differently today than I did prior to being sick. I love being a dad. I love being there for my kids. I love, you know, watching them grow. I now have a little bit of a different perspective on that. And that's something I started to write a lot about, which I'll, which I'll share is that the thing I most like about being a dad now without any question is watching my children turn to young adults. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way before. I do now. Seeing them become the real people that they're going to be in life is, is something that is just heartfelt to me. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it, but you're going to be sad when it comes to the day where you know, you're facing that day where uh, your kids are going to be going out of the house and kind of going on their own. I'm kind of, I'm kind of at that point now in my life, my younger son is 18 and he's about to go off to college. And both my boys, my older son's in college, but both my boys are going to be gone. And I'm going to be, my wife and I are going to be empty nesters. There's parts of us that are looking forward to that, um, you know, to, to be kind of a different chapter for us. But part of it, you know, we're kind of scared about it because it's, it's like a piece of us is missing, you know? No, I do understand that. And that's one, you know, I, I share this one story all the time. And this is in my book about when I'm, when I went through surgery, I come home and I got a second head. I'm a mess. And I had three kids. The oldest was five years old and five, three and two. And they're in a Pennington Montessori school. And my wife says, do you want to come with us? I'm going to drop them off at school. And I have to put a hat on so people can't see this massive wound that I have. And I go, yeah. So my wife takes the two boys in and I take my two-year-old daughter, Lola, and she's wearing her little pink jacket and I'm holding her hand. And we walk to the classroom and she takes off her little pink jacket and she hangs it on the hook. And she looks at me and she goes, thanks for walking me to class, daddy. I love you. And I just started to think, why don't I do this more? Normally, right. if I would have done this, I would have been on my phone. I have an appointment. I'm on my BlackBerry. Let me do this. It's about business. It's about success. It's about all this other stuff. And what I realized was it's not. Right. That was her moment. It was about her. It was about knowing her dad, paying attention to her. And I was given this gift of clarity, of understanding that I have to make the moments about my children. So to answer kind of that point for you, my wife and my daughter are down the shore a lot. We're, we, we have our regular house and we have a shore house. It's about an hour and 20 minutes away. And that's our 
That's our Camp David. That's our love. But my boys are playing a lot of competitive baseball. I think I've been down four days this summer. I don't want to miss anything. I want to be there for every moment of what they're going through. I'm not sure that would have happened prior. Yeah. Yeah. um, You want to be there for every moment. You're right. And uh, that's cool that your boys are kind of uh, enjoying that, uh, that part of their life. It's, uh, it's important. And have you ever coached? I have coached before and uh, I like not coaching because now, especially with them playing club ball and all this kind of stuff, when someone who's not a dad gives them advice, they just do it. When I would do it, there would be argument every time. And as my dad always says to me, remember when I was your coach? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Now does it make more sense? I'm like, yes, it does, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of went the opposite approach. I was all in to be a coach and um, I coached both my boys from when they were four years old all the way to uh, through high school. My youngest son, who just graduated high school, um, I was his high school varsity basketball coach. I was the assistant coach on the team. And um, I enjoyed it. They they took me seriously. For the most part, they took me seriously uh, on, the, on the field or on the court. Um, they referred to me as coach. But there are those times where I had to get the other coaches to kind of step up and tell them to do something. So they, <laughs> exactly. You know, still look at me as dad, and I don't know nothing. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's cool. It's a cool experience. But uh, well, awesome. Obviously, have a passion to make a difference. You have a strong work ethic. You're committed, obviously. Um, so, how have you tried to instill a strong work ethic in your kids? You know, I think it's something that it's difficult to do sometimes because you work hard to try and create a lifestyle or whatnot, but you also have to keep them in check that there's no free lunches like my father did for me at the beginning of our conversation we talked about. So one of the things we try to do is instill in them that there's things you have to get done before other things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. I want them to be kids. I want them to have fun. I want them to play with their kids. I know they want to go on Fortnite and all this, but we also have certain ramifications that we have to impose. Otherwise, why are they going to have, any resistance in their mind from doing anything in life. Everything would be a gift to them. So one of the things we really try to do is there's things like grades, homework, all this stuff. There's no wiggle room on that. You're going to do that the right way. And then you're going to be able to do those other things. And we try to really instill in them that you earn things as opposed to your gift things. No, you're right. And that's important to show them those kind of things and to teach them that way. It only sets them up for, for more things in life. And, and, you know, life, as we know, can be brutal, especially when we're, when we're adults. A lot of the things, as you said earlier, a lot of the things they don't teach in school that we have to teach as parents. So it's important that, that we instill that work ethic in our kids at a younger age. Yeah, I'll give you one quick, quick you know, component of that, too. One of my children is playing baseball now, and he's playing a ton of baseball. And he joins a new team. It's a club team. And he's batting ninth. And he had, he's having a great year. He's like, Dad, I'm batting ninth. I said, Luke, you go out there and keep hitting the way you're going to hit. You earn it. Nobody knows you. There's no gifts. Mm-hmm. Four weeks later, is the number three batter on the team. I told him, mm-hmm. you don't just get put there. You got to go get it done. And it was, right. a, it was a microcosmic lesson for life that he will relate to later that, hey, I had to go there and get it done, which means every time I start a job, which means every time I just go to school, go to college, I got to get it done. And mm-hmm. I really was able to, to relate to that differently because of the experience I've been through. Right. Um, that's great. That's a great story. Um, well, good for him. Very cool. Now, when it comes to affirmations, you know, you kind of, uh, kind of alluded a little bit to them in, in your telling me your story about your uh, brain cancer. 
we know affirmations are important. I've used them with my boys. Um, what do you think is the most, probably the single most important affirmation you would give to your kids or do give to your kids? I think it's how important family is. Mm. I would say, I, I would think it's that like, affirming to them that we're very lucky to all have each other. And there's a lot of things that could happen in life that we have no control over. But understanding how important that and how much support and family and love that we have around us, that not everybody's gifted with that. And it's something there has to be a high end of appreciation for. And sometimes that falls on deaf ears of children. They don't get it. They just want to see grandma and grandpa because they're going to get a gift or something along those lines. Right. We've lost a lot of people. And I deal with a lot of of people in the cancer communities all over the world now where we try to help and we support whatnot. Things can happen very quickly. So I think we try to really instill in them how important family is. This. Their grandfather was gone by the time Luke was seven years old. And, you know, there's a lot we don't control. What yeah. we do control is the memories you can create. You're right. Uh, memories we create. And, um, you know, something that somebody said to me once that's kind of stuck with me since they said it is that um, our, our legacy is built in the home, not outside the home. So That's it's important. Good. Yeah. So it's important that our legacy as a family is strong and we're teaching our kids that, that family comes first over anything, regardless of what you're doing in life, whether it's your career or, or um, extracurricular activities. It's the family is first always. I couldn't agree more. What advice this is kind of, kind of going back to, you know, the kind of the situation you're going through, and I'm sure you probably have a lot of advice for it, but what advice would you give to families out there that may be struggling with some form of, some form of cancer, whether in themselves or in the child? So that's a great question, and it's really two completely different questions, and I can explain that. Dealing with cancer, listen, cancer may take us physically. It will never take us spiritually. We define ourselves. We own our destiny. If we allow or we have define our, we own our legacies. If we turn that over, that's on us. The remembrances we will be instilling in our families are based off the way that we have the communication with them and the love that we leave. If we allow cancer to own that, you have nobody to complain but you. So I think we learn where that toughness and that realness comes from. I think for those that have cancer, it's, it's, it depends on the type. There's so many different types. There's so many different ones that, that, that aren't a big deal to some that are a big deal, like pancreatic cancer and brain cancer are not the ones you're going to sign up for. But I think understanding that time is limited and taking advantage of that time and learning how to create those memories, as we keep saying, but more importantly, instill the love into your children of how important they are to you is something they'll have in their hearts forever, whether you're there physically or whether you're there just spiritually. Mm-hmm. The child one's tough for me to comment on. Yeah. And it is because what happened is when I wrote my book and I started to, to appear on all these shows and all this other stuff, I started to get contact from people all over the place. I never understood that. Like, why is anybody reaching out to me? There's some people like me who my catharsis was to get it out there, to share it, to, to get it off my chest. I found that the majority of people, they just want to talk about it with other people who have been through it that are on a similar path that they could have conversations with that get it. The child thing's always been tough. Because I went through a pretty crazy child experience with, with my oldest, which is the, the end of my book, actually. And you just think, give it to me. Why are you doing this to them? Just right. put it on my shoulders. So I'm very delicate with the child one. It's a phenomenal question, but it's just providing strength and love and taking a lot of the emotion that comes with it, pushing it down someplace deep into your belly where you can hide it and finding an outlet someplace when they're not around. Because they need to see those positive moments. But that's 
I almost have no right to say that because I dealt with myself with a bad cancer, not not a child. So I, I don't in any way want anyone to hear that and think I'm giving them any prognosis because I've been through it. No, that's a good point. Um, it's something that we, uh, you know, we alone ne- never want to go through it. But um, the last thing we would want is for our kids to go through it. And yeah, I think, you know, as you said, give it to me, put it on my shoulders. It's It's like that. That that whole uh, take a bullet for you kind of analogy, uh, you know, I would I would definitely we would we would all definitely step in front of a bullet for our kids. No and the same same thing with when it comes to uh, something as as um, as horrific as cancer, going through cancer. I cannot imagine what parents that are struggling with that with their own kids can be feeling. I had a dear friend of mine that uh, that uh, daughter died from cancer when she was. I think she was about nine, eight or nine years old when she passed away. And it's something that, uh, you know, I watched him struggle with. And he, he worked a full-time job and he still came to work every day and to see him go through it. Um, uh, it's just something that I can never put on my shoulders. It's just, just I can tell you why he did it. I can tell you why he did that. Because we're warriors. Right. And that's what happens. When you get put in that situation, we are warriors. And what you find out is we're actually a family of warriors. And we're all here for each other. And we all get it. And then when warriors are put in a, bad, in a tough position, they get knocked down, they pick up the sword, they get up, and they swing. There's no yeah. thought. There's no nothing. And hopefully most people who listen to this will never have to experience that. But once you put that warrior mentality in yourself, you realize there is no other option. If I'm going down, I'm going down fighting. And to see someone do that, it's it, it's almost an honor to see yeah. someone who just all they do is whatever they need to do to make sure that their children are taken care of as best as they possibly can. And we're a community on that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Well said. We know parenting is difficult. Um, you know, we learn a lot from how we learn how to be parents, and basically from the way we were raised or lessons we've heard from other parents. What do you think is the single most important thing you've learned from your parents? How has it impacted you as a father? I think I, I think that's, I can give that in a couple parts. It's a great question. The first is there's no free lunches. There's no question. There's no way I had the career that I have. There's no way that I learned the basics of financial planning. And then I took the what my mom had as a teacher and was able to to garner them later in life and learn that the majority of people, because we're not taught that kind of stuff in schools about the planning component, I could have had nothing but regret, resentment, and negativity all over me when I'm laying in a hospital, that going through surgery, that I didn't do this, I didn't do that. The best thing they taught me was you plan in advance of the bad. A plan to make sure that you can get good news at difficult times and the basics of all my, and financial planning is not about how much money you have. Let me make that clear. It's your will your power of attorney, it's legal documentation, life insurance. And it's having things in place that I can go check, check, check. All right, cancer, let's fight. What do you want? I don't got to worry about my family right now. The best thing they ever taught me was instilling that in me that you plan in advance of the bad. And I'll never forget laying in a hospital bed going, oh my God, every speech I ever gave was about me. And I never knew that going into it. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That's what you what happens when you practice what you preach. Wow, that is that is so cool. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, that's great that your parents kind of taught you that lesson early on, and you you took it seriously. And clearly, it's paid off. And I would I would bet a million dollars it's still paying off. Oh, there's no question. And and I I, I am beyond appreciative of that. And 
I remember, to, <laughs> I'll tell you a quick funny story in the interest of time. So uh, it's crazy. And when I wrote my book and it became a bestseller, I, I, had to, I wrote my book for me. Let me make that clear. I wrote it because it, my catharsis became writing and sharing and getting it off my chest like vomit, getting it out of your system. And right. I couldn't believe the way things were going. I started to be on ESPN and do all this stuff. So I started doing all these TED Talks. And my mother drove all the way out to Long Island with me to do uh, my third TED Talk. And when she gets out there, uh, I'm giving the talk and I kind of make eye contact with her and she kind of knows where I'm going to go. And I go, I want to share with everybody the day my book came out. I called my mom on March 28th, 2018. And I called my, or March 23rd, 2018. And she's like, mom, the book's coming out today. And I'm going to tell you what she said word for word to me over the phone. You know, no one's ever going to read it, right? I said, oh God, no. Oh, wow. I'm the jerk off. What do they care about me? She goes, but you're going to put three copies in your safe. So when your kids are old enough, oh, wow. they'll be able to read what really happened because they were so young. I said, mom, I couldn't agree with you more. And one week wow. later, we were a bestseller in four different categories. And here's why I bring that up. What I want my kids to say about me when they get older is now that they have an understanding of what really happened, that dad was there with us every minute that he could be after what happened, knowing that that could end at any given time. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, she's, she's still making sure you're planning ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. No question. <laughs> Practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Um, let me ask you this. Something I like to ask about my dad. If, if you had the secret to raising good kids and I asked you to share that secret with me, what would that secret be to you, Matt? That's a, great, that's a great question because every kid is so different and so unique right. and comes in so many different flavors and varieties. I think the basic thing would be to teach them work ethic. No matter how much wealth you have, no matter how little wealth you have, no matter how much success or lack of success you had, is that if you teach them work ethic and build that into their bellies, there's no challenge that they can't take on, or at least they go down fighting. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and that, that would be a good secret to have for sure to, uh, to raising good kids because that certainly would bring them up right. Well, cool. As we're closing up here, can you tell my listeners kind of where they can learn a little bit more about you? Um, obviously, they need to pick up your book um, and read it, but uh, tell them a little bit more about where they can reach you uh, or how they can look you up and how they can get the book information. And then also, what do you got going on this year that you're looking forward to? Absolutely. So my, uh, my website is www.matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, S as in Stephen, Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N.com. MatthewSNewman.com. The only person that calls me Matthew is my mom. Let me point that out. On there, you could see uh, all the speeches that we gave, the TED Talks, the television shows, being on ESPN, all that kind of stuff. You can get the book on there as well. So you could also get the book. It's called Starting at the Finish Line. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon Kindle. It's on Goodreads. It's on Barnes & Noble. You can get that anywhere on there as well, too. And if you want to have any contact with me as well, you could do that through the website as well and reach out and we can, we can have some type of conversation. And if there's anything we can ever do to help, it's our pleasure. It, it's funny, you, you asked about looking forward to doing the most. Um, I speak all over the country now. We fly all over the place and we give speeches on keynotes to large crowds and let them know the basics of financial planning, the realities of life, connection. And cancer is like buying a car. Do you ever know you buy the car, you leave the lot, and you go, oh my goodness, look at that, I see the car everywhere. Well, the reality was the car was always there. You just never noticed if you actually had a direct connection with it. And that's what right. happened with cancer. And I noticed that 
it, it's everywhere and every family has some connection with it. And if they can find some type of inspiration and motivation through realness and purity, it's an attraction. And it's been an honor to be, to be a part of that. Well, the majority of speeches I give, they're not happening here because of, uh, because of COVID. So we've adapted and we do a lot of them virtually now. And I'll be doing one tomorrow night uh, in, in Tennessee from Pennsylvania. And it's something I really look forward to that this pandemic and the horribleness that came along with it has opened up this new way of new normal communication and ways to connect with people that we can be right there with them in a different capacity. So I would tell you right now, aside from the kids playing baseball and getting down the shore with my wife, I'm really looking forward to this one tomorrow night to do. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, Matt, I'm definitely going to pick up your book. I, I'm anxious to read it myself. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. But look, it's been a huge honor to have you on. I really appreciate you taking out the time, taking time out of your day to, to speak with me and kind of share your story and your experiences. Um, I feel like I got a new friend, so we're certainly staying in touch. I love and, it. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I appreciate you being on, brother. Oh, thank you so much, Brian, for having me. And anything I could do to help, it was an absolute honor. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch and doing great things for your listeners as well, too. Thank you again to Matt for talking with me on Dad Up. This is an interview I will always remember, and Matt and I will remain good friends from it. He is certainly an inspiration to his family, and as you can see, Matt knows he is in control of his attitude. Please make sure you pick up his book, Starting at the Finish Line. It's a must-read about his journey. Matt certainly represents the Dad Up community very well. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show, and as I said before, please subscribe. It is also so important that you share the show with others. The only way the show continues to get noticed is if you're sharing it. If you have comments or questions, please let me know. Please message me on my Instagram page at datappodcast. I read all your comments and questions and respond to them all. As always, I'm your host, Brian Ward. Thank you for listening. This is Dad Up.